Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Roy Bensvi. This podcast is an opportunity for me to speak with some of the most interesting people I know, either with amazing talents or achievements or unbelievable life stories or just invaluable insights into areas which they have dedicated their lives to studying. I sit down with these amazing individuals from across the planet and I try to ask them questions that will hopefully help you the listener extract something valuable or learn something new or just hopefully get inspired by. You can find all the episodes for the podcast on all the major podcasting platforms such as iTunes, Spotify, Google, Overcast, iHeartRadio, literally all of them. It's there. If you love the show, if it adds value to your life in any way, shape, or form, please, please leave reviews on iTunes. It really helps grow the podcast. It puts it up there so more people can see it. You can also find all the episodes and everything else, all the information that's updated regularly on the website, which is RoyBensvi.com, R-O-Y-B-E-N-T-Z-V-I.com, and you can sign up for updates as well. I've also been updating the YouTube channel, so I've been uploading all the um, old episodes pretty much on a daily basis, so you can find it there. And in the future, I hope to make video podcasting as well. If that's something you guys want to check out and are interested in, please shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And also make sure to check out the social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter. I post there daily. And lastly, if you guys want to support and help grow the podcast, please go to Buy Me a Coffee or Anchor or Patreon. It is an endeavor to grow this podcast and make it what it should be. And uh, it takes a village. So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. I, you know, I see that there are literally listeners from all over the world in each and every country. So thank you to everyone and on to the show. All right, folks, today on the podcast, I have Sarah McLaughlin. Nope, not that Sarah. This Sarah is the senior program officer at FIRE, which stands for the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. What this group is essentially advocating for is freedom of expression, freedom of speech, religious liberty on campuses, which should be true for everyone, faculty, students, any other members that are related to institutional education. And right now, freedom of speech is its a very hot button topic. I feel like especially on campuses, you know, people are not allowed to go outside, color outside the lines of what is currently accepted. So if they say anything that is remotely outrageous or controversial, they get banned from speaking at those institutions. They get fired. It's become even violent at times, you know, if you take into a few stories like Evergreen and many, many other stories that are probably don't even make the news. So freedom of speech right now is kind of under fire, you could say. Everyone is offended by something that the other party says, regardless if it's a social or political. It's just not the best time for free speech, especially on campuses and in the U.S. right now, which should be... a uh, bastion of free speech. Uh, everyone came here because they were 
prosecuted or persecuted in their countries for their religious beliefs, for their political ideologies. So this should be the place where everyone can express themselves freely without fear of any sort of retribution. Uh, and we are losing that a little bit. So I'm very happy that Sarah and many, many others are fighting this battle. This was a really fun conversation. Obviously, we talked a lot about free speech. We talked about foreign governments uh, infiltrating our educational institutions and what their gains could be from this. We talked about the Confucius Institutes, Qatar, and some of our educational institutions being overseas and what are some of the uh, ethical guidelines that people need to follow in those countries. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I had a blast talking to Sarah. She knows a whole lot about this. She's been covering this topic for a very long time. And yeah, we really got into some uh, nitty gritty details. And I think you guys are going to love this episode. So without further ado, here is Sarah McLaughlin. Enjoy the episode, everyone. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Sarah. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, could be worse. I guess. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. It's a positive outlook. It that's, always could be worse. That's been my answer for anybody asking me the past eight months or so. I, I know that it could be worse. So. Yeah. I like it because it's positive because if you think most people, they answer, ah, you know, it could be better. And that's kind of like a pessimistic way of looking at things because you're like saying, eh, it's not great, but could be worse means like, you know, it's pretty good. Could I won't worse. deny that it could be better, but it could also be worse. <laughs> well, that's very neutral then. Yeah, it's just realistic. I'm middle of the road on it. Yeah. By the way, I uh, I love your Twitter background because when I was Googling you, that's literally what, <laughs> what I came up against. And I was like, no, no, this is not the person I'm looking for, Google. Just help me out. Is is it pronounced? It's not pronounced McLaughlin, right? It's McLaughlin. It's McLaughlin. Yeah, oh, it it's, is. It's exactly exactly the same. Yeah, just the other What's day. Spelled differently. Yeah, it's spelled a little differently. Um, okay. Just the other day, I had somebody tweet at me, and he was like, "Hey, can you settle an argument between me and my wife? I'm convinced that you're the singer." And she says, "You're absolutely not." And I was like, "Your <laughs> wife wins this one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy buy her a bottle of wine. <laughs> I mean, there's a huge age difference. Also, she's. At least what yeah, couple of your age or something? You know, I think she actually became famous like right around when I was born. <laughs> yeah, she's got to be fifties probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm an early nineties baby. I think I think early nineties when she hit it big. So yeah, I think she's probably in her fifties. I, I missed the nineties. The nineties was a beautiful era. <laughs> really, some of the the best music ever made, and this this is one of the the hills I'll I'll die on was the 90s just i don't know i don't know if i if i have enough you know strong conscious memories of the 90s to to be making any claims and just just trust what i'm saying then just take my word (laughs) word yeah take this person you only met a few minutes ago and just trust what they say i feel like that's always a good uh (laughs) you know i just met this guy on the internet three minutes ago but i think he's right about everything (laughs) Yeah, he's got a trustworthy face. He should should definitely listen to what he has to say. Um, so, Sarah, um, 
you work with FIRE. Mm-hmm. And its foundation stands for Individual Rights and Education. Can you maybe explain a little bit more in detail what uh, you do there, what the organization stands for? Sure. So FIRE started around 20 years ago. I think it's 21 years this year. Um, And so we defend the First Amendment and freedom of expression on college campuses. Uh, So it's, uh, you know, we're nonpartisan, uh, we're nonprofit. So we will defend, you know, any speech as long as it's protected by the First Amendment. Um, So we primarily help students and faculty um, who are dealing with censorship in some way, you know, a uh, professor writes a tweet that gets picked up by the media. They get in trouble. That one happens a lot. Yeah. Um, more, you know, uh, more and more frequently. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a student group wants to host an event, but they're told they're not allowed to because they're controversial. Things like that. Um, you know, we have defended every view under the sun. We've helped, you know, people protesting something and people supporting it sometimes in the same week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very interesting job. Um, and we have kind of a, a collection of, you know, very different viewpoints and perspectives in the office. And I, I think it helps us to you know, come at it from the point of view where uh, we can, you know, be nonpartisan um, and we can, you know, we can always find a, a way to defend the first amendment. And I think that's great. Um, and it's something that's kind of hard to uh, do right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a little bit hard to, um, you know, get people to see the principled stand on free expression right now. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be doing that work. It's, it's free speech as long as you agree with me. Yeah. I, I, you, should, you should definitely be able to say what you want as long as I agree. If I don't agree, <laughs> then I'm going to try and shut you down. That's kind of what, what the landscape is right now. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, um, it's incredible how prevalent that is, you know, across the political spectrum. There are a lot of people who feel that way. So yeah. uh, it's, it's a big problem uh, to overcome. But, you know, we're working on it. And, uh, you know, we, we help a lot of students and faculty who are struggling with, um, you know, censorship issues. Is it more students or more faculty? Like what's the full gamut or scope that of issues that people kind of reach out to the, to the organization for? Like at what point do people say like, okay, I need to reach out to FIRE? Um, you know, a, a lot of times people will just reach out to us when, you know, they think they might be, you know, like, hey, I posted something controversial. People are mad at me. I think they're going to reach out to the school and try to get me fired. Uh, can you help me out? And, you know, sometimes we hear from people after they've already been fired or kicked out of school. Um, And we also, so we help them. And then we also kind of try to take a proactive approach. Um, So like, for example, we have a policy reform team um, that speaks to schools uh, and administrators. And they say, you know, you have these policies uh, that are in violation of the First Amendment. uh, So here's what you can do to fix them. So they won't be a threat to students' rights. Um, And just to make it a little clearer, uh, so public universities in the United States are bound by the First Amendment, so they can't just censor whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and private universities are not bound by the First Amendment, so you know they don't have a legal obligation not to censor speech. Really? But a lot of them do have um, you know certain handbook commitments, written policies that make um, pretty strong promises for free expression. Um, so you know there's at at least a moral argument and often a contractual argument like, Hey, you can't, you know, make these promises and then, uh, just quit on them when it gets a little tough. Um, so yeah, with public universities, the first amendment, private universities, nine times out of 10, they will have made a promise to free expression. 
But even in a private university, it's not like a employee of a company that represents the company or, and I could be wrong about this, but if I express a view that's unpopular on, on, uh, on social media, why am I being um, held accountable by the university if I'm if I'm a student? Like I'm still a private citizen. I can say what I want. This isn't a company that hires me. Is and is that not a problem? It's just for faculty or for students as well? Uh, so it's I think you know students and faculty. Um, I, I think they tend to have slightly different issues there because um, you know with students, um, people will just say like you shouldn't be a member of the community if you know you say things that we don't like. And with faculty, um, sometimes schools will try to make the argument like, you know, you're representing our university, so you can't Mm -hmm. say anything um, that might make us look bad. Uh, You know, one thing I can say about colleges is that, um, you know, they are are businesses uh, to a certain extent, and they are very conscious of bad press, and they don't want bad press. So they sometimes tend to lash out at uh, the people who think are giving them bad press, which, um, you know, can be controversial faculty member who you know goes on fox news or cnn and says something that gets people mad yeah yeah i mean evergreen was a good um example of uh professor uh, weinstein and um he didn't bend to the mob's will and uh and he got fired essentially right uh so we've had a quite a number of cases where um you know, where, where faculty, you know, say things that people don't understand why, uh, you know, it's so controversial. And it's, it can be sort of tough to, you know, get at the issue of explaining to people, you know, why this is happening in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but we, we hear from a lot of faculty who, um, you know, they don't know what to do. And, you know, they're afraid because it's like their livelihood. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, scary definitely. to lose a job, especially, you know, it's, it's not just easy to, you know, find another job as a faculty member. You know, it's not the simplest thing in the world to just get a new job at a campus. Um, Especially if you've been branded as some, I don't know, righty that has these extreme ideas about X, Y, Z. Yeah, it's, it can be, you know, I, I think uh, especially, you know, we're all seeing, you know, how scary it is right now, you know, just the idea of, you know, the idea of losing your job right now, especially during a pandemic. And there are faculty who are, you know, terrified of that happening to them, um, especially at a time when the job market is pretty scary. Yeah. Are you seeing it more from the left or from the right? Uh, you know, we get that question a lot and it's really incredible how prevalent it is everywhere. It's it's not, you know, an issue from the left or an issue from the right. It's an issue from everywhere. Because I think, um, you know, fundamentally people, I don't think it's a specific political um, you know, inclination that leads people to want to censor. I think it's kind of just human nature mm-hmm. um, that people don't want others to say things that they find deeply offensive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and we, we see it, um, you know, you can, you can pick any, you know, political party and find an instance of them trying to censor speech that they find deeply offensive, whether it's, you know, anti-police comments or anti-America comments or something like that. Like, it's it really is not just you know one party or one political viewpoint. It's pretty widespread, which makes it a harder job. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're I think we're suited for it because we're not coming at this you know saying we want to defend this political viewpoint or that political viewpoint. We will if it's protected by the First Amendment, we'll defend it. And I think that kind of 
makes it a lot easier and it removes a lot of the, um, you know, do we like this speech? Do we want to defend this person? You know, that's not something we have to weigh because it doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not it's, you know, protected. And it's kind of a simpler question that way. Yeah. The problem is what is offensive (laughs) has become so skewed that everything's offensive. It's just everything is offensive right now. And I, I like, I don't know how you're just not bombarded by people 24-7 saying that someone, you know, I, I read this thing, and I, I hope this is real. I, I didn't fact check this or anything. But a woman took a man uh, to court because he winked at her in England. I she felt not like seen you were so I don't want to comment. But. Yeah, and again, like I didn't fact check this. Like, don't email me. I'm just saying that <laughs> I, I read this, and it, it, you know, I could see that happening. Like, we're living in, in such sensitive times, and as far as male female interaction, I feel like a lot of it is happening through, you know, a mediator, which is um, you know Tinder or Bumble or all these other apps that are used for dating it's like the the um, rejection part or the yeah, gathering that confidence to go talk to the other sex and and try to ask them on a date or, or you spark up a conversation i feel like that happens less and less and um that that's what we had to do back in the day now it seems like that doesn't happen and i it almost seems like when there are these small interactions like oh you're invading invading my space or oh i feel threatened or whatever that is uh, I think, uh, you know, on the the question of feeling like everything is offensive, uh, I think it's even harder right now because we're spending so much time online and, you know, we're pretty much conducting conversations in a way where it's very easy for something to be amplified among mm-hmm. a large group of people. Um, and, you know, like all we're doing is staring at the internet pretty much. Uh, so, you know, I think offensive things that online can, um, can kind of just be what you know we're focusing on because you know we're distracted and we're on the internet and um yeah i'm I'm trying to log off more personally (laughs) for my mental health it's hard though right especially nowadays um it just seems like yeah we 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 can't it almost seems like we can't like you have to be a renegade uh, of of sorts for you to completely disconnect from social media because regardless of what you do it's a place where you can build your your brand, right? If you get a decent following, it doesn't matter if you want to market a book later in life, if you want to get hired, if whatever it is, it helps if you have a good social media following and um, to just disconnect and just say like, oh, you know, I don't want 10,000 followers or 50 or whatever it is that you have and say like, no, that's, that's extremely difficult. It's also a very addictive drug yeah to get, it is. to get those likes and to get that feedback and people telling you oh right you're so smart like yeah i love what you're saying not that people tell me that but i can assume that <laughs> it, it is an addictive uh drug i i think uh with me with twitter i've sort of built a, a group of friends on there who mostly just make fun of me uh and you know i love that i respect it so for me you have, it's a, you have a decent following lovingly mocking me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And that's what you want, right? You want, I feel like there's, there's something about the, 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 the teasing and the mocking in a friendly way. Yeah. It, it builds character. Like you don't want people just completely like demolishing you, but in a friendly way, I think it builds character. (laughs) 
So, I mean, if we're on, on the subject of Twitter, I, I have to ask, what do you think of uh, Twitter censoring our dear, uh, our dear leader? Uh, so I think, uh, there's, there's a lot of misinformation going on about it. Cause I think people are, a lot of people don't understand that it's not a first amendment issue in the first place. Um, you know, a lot of people think, you know, he's, he's being censored, you know, how can you do that? There's a first amendment. Um, and you know, the first amendment, you know, only applies to the government. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I honestly have not been paying that much attention to it because I've been trying to remove myself from Twitter the past couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, Cause it's been, you know, a little horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that what's most important is for platforms to have very public and transparent policies that they stick to. Um, and, you know, I think people are asking valid questions about, um, you know, you're removing Trump, but you know, what about, you know, the other government leaders who are saying really troubling things, Amazing. they're allowed to keep accounts. And so I, I think um, it would be wise for Twitter to, you know, come with those questions more head on and more directly and say, you know, this is why we're letting these leaders stay. This is why this one can't stay. Um, you know, that's what I would like because um, I, I think <laughs> it's, uh, you know, for example, um, I think a Chinese embassy account tweeted something um, about a week or so ago about, um, you know, pretty much it was, it, it was about how, um, you know, Uyghur women are, are so much happier now that they're having less children. Um, and it was pretty disturbing because they're having less children because, you know, some of them are being forcibly sterilized by the Chinese government. Uh, and so that tweet was up for a few days and people were, you know, asking, why is this up? And but why is Trump's account taken down? Um, and eventually they did take down that tweet. Um, but you know, it was I, I think they hadn't really planned out a like a, a policy that would be global that would apply to leaders. Um, and so I think what's most important is having something transparent um, so people understand why one leader is taken down, and why another isn't. Because um, you know, otherwise it's it's just going to look like bias or it's going to look like an ill-formed policy. Yeah. And that's the problem. I, I don't see objectivity. Like you said, um, Chinese government, uh, there's Khomeini, right? The, the spiritual leader in, in Iran. He's been advocating for the eradication of Israel for many, many years openly. And uh, all those tweets are still up and, and people, you know, they'll post, Hey Jack, you know, delete this account and it's up. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of, you know, even Ron Paul, I, I don't know if this was Facebook or Twitter, but they uh, they discontinued his his account and they didn't really give too much explanation. So it just seems like there's censorship because big tech is, you know, it's, it's very left. It's very progressive, very liberal. It just seems like there is more censorship via those platforms for people who are on the right. And if you do not oppose if you have an, an, a differing or opposing opinion, you know, it's trans rights, all those different things, you get shut down very, very quickly. And um, and I, I I know they can do it because obviously it's a private company. I think it's just it's a question of, of should they do it and should they be more like a public utility like the phone company or is it a private company and they can just decide based on their political affiliations who and what, you know, should 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 talk 
Yeah, I think we're um, kind of in need of a much broader conversation about, you know, what we actually want from these platforms. Because I think, um, you know, there is a lot of censorship that happens on Facebook and Twitter, I think also gets less attention. Like, um, you know, there are things you like, you might be surprised, like there are many people who have had their accounts removed on Facebook for saying things like, you know, men are trash is like a jokey comment. Uh, really? Against men. Yeah, like there, there's a accounts of people who like you'll get, you know, put in Facebook jail, as they call it for like 30 days for that, for that phrase, if somebody reports it. Uh, and I think it's, the fundamental issue is that content moderation is really difficult. And when you have that many posts coming in, um, it's not, it's hard to come up with a principled way to, you know, be taking things down that violate policies and not be, you know, just taking down anything that anybody reports. Um, So I I think, you know, we would benefit from just a, a lot more, discussion about what's taken down um, and how it's done because I, I think I don't think we're ever actually going to have a, a solution we want about it um, no. because I think it's such a difficult problem that I'm not sure you know it's something that can be you know easily addressed in the way people want it to be no I mean there's so much nuance and our the goalpost keeps moving all the time also it's like what is offensive now you know, was humor 20 years ago. And uh, <laughs> because it keeps moving and it's it's not updating anyone, it's not like telling us, okay, like in 2020, this is what is offensive and you can't joke about this anymore. It just keeps moving. And uh, I think it's like, I, I keep thinking, like sometimes I think about this. I'm like my dad who's 60, what is 66? Like, and he lives in another country if I were to tell him some of the things that are happening, like it, with the younger generation, what is offensive and what is like, he wouldn't have the slightest idea. He like, it's not something that interests him. And, you know, he could just speak his mind about certain issues, which might not be. And again, this is, I'm talking about the U S like, so I'm originally from, from Israel, um, different set of rules for a lot of different things, right here, like just socially, what is acceptable is is a little bit different uh, or sorry, not acceptable is a little bit different. And for someone who's older, older generation, there's just no way they can keep up with it. And I think that's why they get, keep getting a lot of people get in trouble when they're older. <laughs> they go online and they'll say certain things and there's just no way for them to know what was, you know, that, that 20 minutes ago, that stopped being acceptable. Well, I think, you know, that's, it goes back to why, you know, transparency is important. Like if a platform is going to be taking things down, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's good for people to know that. So, uh, you know, if they can decide if that's the kind of platform they want to use and, you know, they can be aware that, you know, they might have access revoked if they say, you know, whatever is on, you know, a company's ban list, it's, it's a complicated issue. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, read and learn more about it, but I, I think the more I learn about it, the more difficult <laughs> it is as an issue. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I, I don't envy uh, anybody making these policies. <laughs> no, it's difficult. I'm sure like, I'm sure they have good intentions. I don't think, I don't, I don't think they're just like sitting there all plotting like, Ooh, this, we're going to do this and that. I think people have good intentions. Um, but it's difficult. It's 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 hundreds of millions or billions of people putting out content all the time. 
Um, and you have, you know, how many different countries with how many different legal systems that have very different demands about what content must be left up, what content must be taken down. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, obviously as an advocate for free expression, I want platforms to, you know, tend toward, you know, to find ways to better protect, you know, free expression and, you know, have people speaking freely. But uh, I, content moderation is is a tough one. And I... Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I think people would benefit from like reading about how difficult it is because, um, you know, the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, I'm glad I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I have my job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I were to play devil's advocate, why is free speech and expression so important? I mean, maybe free speech and expression is only good for the West and in, in other parts of the world. Um, would they are content with the status quo? I mean, maybe their culture or religion uh, is content with how things are right now. And they don't want the U.S. and the West telling them, meddling in, in their, you know, daily lives, telling them how they should live. What would be the the kind of counter argument to that? Um, you know, honestly, I think um, the pandemic has kind of given us a perfect example of why free expression matters. Um, you know, there was a lot of you know censorship going on um, in China early, um, I guess it was December and January, um, uh, December 2019, January 2020, uh, of, you know, whistleblowers, of doctors, of journalists who were saying, you know, I think there's something going on. I think there's, um, you know, a new flu that's going around. And, you know, they were threatened, they were, you know, put in prison, they were silence they were said you know you're picking quarrels you can't say this you're causing trouble um and you know that probably we could have bought the world some more time dealing with the pandemic if there hadn't been a cover-up of it and censorship of it for you know weeks and weeks uh so i think that's probably a pretty good example of you know how important it is for people to be able to speak freely uh and you know it's, it's interesting i think it's a good example of how um you know, people sometimes look at censorship and they think that's, you know, hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away. That doesn't yeah. affect me. And, you know, actually it can affect you. Um, you know, the free flow of information does matter. <laughs> yeah. Learned. It would have been nice to get a little heads up from, from China. It would have yeah, been, nice. you know, it doesn't excuse, you know, the United States, I, in my opinion, has not handled COVID very well. And, you know, lots of countries haven't, and it doesn't excuse that, but, you know, it's it's clear that there was censorship early on that, uh, you know, slowed the spread of information about COVID. What are the odds that the actual numbers of COVID cases and death uh, in China are factual? I, I, I would I would I would argue zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I have no idea what the actual numbers are. No, no one does. So I don't want I don't want to speculate. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, given, you know, China's censorship of information, it does not like, I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, all of the numbers given about the you know, spread were inaccurate. Yeah, there are some leaked videos from, from China where you see just police officers grabbing people, locking them up in homes and just kind of locking them in, like barricading them in. It's, uh, it's hard to see. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have much more to say. <laughs> I'm glad we agree. <laughs> what um, 
China is a China is a I don't know. It's a fascinating country in in a way, I guess. I, but I think I don't understand why. I mean, I guess I do understand why, but it's a question of why we allow them to do essentially whatever they want, where most other countries would not be able to do this, right? From the Falun Gong and and, and selling organs to wildlife uh, extermination, plagiarism, counterfeit consumer goods, diseases, uh, Uyghurs, human rights, Hong Kong. It list goes on and on and on. And they're just not held accountable. I mean, they essentially, this virus has crippled the world economically. Um, I don't even know how many people already have, have died from it. I think in the U.S. 2020, 400,000 people? Yeah, I think we just hit 400,000, which is just it's a huge astounding amount number. of people. It's a yeah. huge amount of people. And they're not held accountable in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, um, you know, much of a a broader political argument about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the answers to deal with, uh, you know, like economic concerns here. Um, but I, I can say, you know, from the free expression angle, and this is something that I um, have been focusing on at fire, especially is that um, China has been making a concerted effort to control the global conversation about, you know, its practices, its policies, um, you know, human rights violations, especially. And, um, you know, it's something that I think institutions and, you know, especially academic institutions need to be on the lookout for because, uh, you know, it can be very difficult to, you know, stand up to that pressure to not censor speech that China doesn't like. Um, and, you know, that's something that I've been pressing universities on, you know, yeah. you might be pressured to, you know, tell an, a Chinese activist that they can't come to campus to speak because, you know, they're going to speak about Hong Kong, you know, and you have to stand up against that pressure because it's it's unacceptable for, um, you know, academic institutions to be tolerating pressure from any government. Um, but, you know, and that includes the Chinese government. What So what are satellite campuses and, and what are some of the like the issues and ethical questions raised uh, with regards to them? Sure. So um, satellite campuses are, um, you know, for example, United States, um, they will uh, have a relationship with the government of their country um, and often a um, another university in that country. And they'll say, you know, you have a lot of academic offerings that we would like to um, that we would like to have. We would like to expand, um, you know, put our, put roots in a, another part of the world. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, you know, we have a lot to learn from the rest of the world. Uh, yeah. You know, information sharing matters a lot. Um, and, you know, you can get, you know, experiences and education that, you know, in some places that you can't get elsewhere. Um, like you can't do, you know, on the ground research <laughs> you know, unless you're in that country. Um, so I, I think, you know, there are major benefits, but, um, as you know, I like to remind universities, there are pitfalls too. Um, and when you are setting up um, a, a campus, uh, you know, which is supposed to be something where um, academic discussion and debate are open, um, and you know they're they're free from constraints. Uh, if you're setting that up in a country that has very serious constraints on speech, um, you're there's a very good chance you're going to run into a brick wall there <laughs> um, and you might be offering something that you can't actually deliver. Um, so, you know, a good example I think is Qatar. Um, so Qatar is a very popular location for 
um, satellite campuses and, um, you know, partnership programs. Uh, and over the past couple of years, there have been, um, as far as I know, two American universities who have had um, kind of censorship blowups um, that, you know, I found pretty troubling. Um, so Georgetown has a campus in Qatar. Um, and a couple of years ago, um, there was a, a student and faculty debate scheduled um, about depicting God as a woman. Uh, and that debate caught... Yeah, they love that. <laughs> that debate caught... Um, a lot of controversy on social media. Um, you know, people were pretty mad and they were, um, they were accusing the school of insulting God, um, you know, of blaspheming. And um, eventually the, uh, the event was shut down. And, you know, Georgetown University has a strong commitment to free expression on its Cutter campus. Um, and so they claimed, you know, it was a security issue and, you know, they didn't actually have proper permissions to hold this event, which is something we hear a lot. After yeah. something's been censored, you know, you didn't have the proper permission. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but then they eventually put out a statement that said, um, you know, the faculty and students are allowed to host events that are in accordance with Cutter's laws. Cutter's laws include a blasphemy law. Uh, so, you know, the question is, what are you offering students? Are you offering a campus where they can speak freely and, you know, have discussions about religion? You know, that's a pretty basic thing to do in college, debate religion. Yeah. Um, or is it a campus that abides by a blasphemy law? You know, at the very least, I think schools owe it to be honest to students about what they're selling. Mm -hmm. Um you know, if if you are paying all this money to go somewhere and you think you're promised certain rights and then you don't have them when you get there, you might be a little mad. <laughs> um, and so, you know, very similarly, um, last year at Northwestern University in Qatar, um, they were planning to host an event with um, uh, some kind of, I think it was a Lebanese rock band um, and their lead singer is openly gay. Okay. And so they ended up canceling that um, because of safety concerns, um, because Again, people were mad about the event. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think they, you know, they, they recommitted to academic freedom. They said how much free expression matters. Um, but the Qatar Foundation, which is a, a state-linked nonprofit um, in Qatar uh, and a partner of Northwestern University's campus, um, they put out a statement saying that um, the event was canceled, not because of security concerns, but because it was in violation of Qatar's laws and customs. Um, so, you know, again, the question is, what is your campus offering? Um, and, you know, shouldn't you be telling students, you know, before you come here, you might need to know that, you know, events might be, have to be canceled because, uh, something offensive is going on. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, you know, while you, while you were talking, I was thinking of, of kind of a, an equivalent here, um. I don't know when this happened a, a couple of years ago, maybe, but Ben Shapiro was supposed to talk on, on some campus and he literally had to be escorted. And Ben Shapiro's, you know, he's a conservative. He's not some extremist. He's not some, you know, Infowars type guy. You know, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but he's a super smart, pretty level headed conservative on, on majority of the issues. And I don't think he was able to, to talk. I think they shut him down. There was, um, you know, gathering of, of hundreds or thousands of, of students. And he had to be escorted by police officers because they feared for his safety. And um, it sounds not that different. <laughs> like there it is government. But it's also, I'm sure in, in, in Qatar, it's also people like they, 
majority of Muslim countries, if you make fun of God, that's a pretty big no-no. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's government or the, the, the general population. And it just... This is supposed to be the land where you can have free speech and you can say whatever you want. And uh, it just seems like that's also not happening here as well. And I think the, the thing about um, you know, a point we like to make about free speech, um, and, you know, I, we just made this point recently in reference to the riots at uh, the Capitol, uh, is that free speech uh, is so important because it gives us a way to settle disputes without having to turn to violence. So free speech is a thing you're supposed to use instead of violence when you disagree with somebody. Uh, and so that's what we advocate for if you don't you know, like uh, the speaker protest, um, hold your own event. You know, there are a lot of different ways to respond to it. Um, violence is pretty much the one you're not supposed to do. Yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, someone like Ben Shapiro can go to university and, and speak his mind. Because again, like, while he's not a liberal, he's a conservative, but he's like a traditional conservative in a way. You know, he's not some far right. He's a Jew. He's not some far right guy. And even him, like just not being able to, to you know, to, to speak freely on campus. Yeah, we've had, um, I, I'd have to, to check. I can't remember. <laughs> we've had a lot of cases over the past <laughs> I'm few sure. years. Uh, but we, we've had some cases with um, Ben Shapiro having speaking issues, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've been at FIRE for uh, over eight years now. So oh, wow. <laughs> there's been a lot of cases. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. A lot, of, a lot of stories to remember. Yeah, you guys probably need to start hiring more people. It seems like it's just going to get more and more busy with time. Yeah, we it's it's pretty interesting. We've had um, the busiest year ever, actually, over the past year. We thought, um, you know, with a lot of people being, uh, you know, just taking classes from home, that we wouldn't have as many issues because you know a lot of, you know, a lot of our cases are, you know, I wanted to hold a protest in the quad and I wasn't allowed. Um, so, you know, a good number of our cases involve in-person speech, um, but we've had more case submissions than ever. It's been our busiest year ever. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you think, what do you think overall, like are people happy with this Zoom type of class or are they, you know, eager to go back to the way it was? Um, You know, I think it might be my... Uh, personal feelings coming through here. I, I don't think a lot of people are all that thrilled about it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it makes it easier for some people. Um, you know, it's, if you don't have to travel to a campus, um, it might make it easier, but, um, you know, I think there is a lot of value in in-person conversation and, you know, it's, I think it's easier to, to just have some conversations and academic debates in person. Um, and, you know, just on a, a less of a, you know, how I feel about it, but uh, there are like just new, um, you know, internet censorship issues that come up in, uh, you know, higher ed when you have to do everything online. Um, so like, you know, Zoom, what if Zoom decides to, they don't want to host something, which has come up. And um, there was a, a pretty disturbing report that came out recently about um, an executive at Zoom who had been um, taking down uh, calls last June um, for the Chinese government uh, to censor Tiananmen Square uh, really? memorials. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, the person is uh, no longer employed there. And, uh, you know, so hopefully that won't be an issue going forward. But, you know, it's concerning. We have so much of our, 
so many classes and, you know, so just so many academic events going on over Zoom. And it's scary to know that, um, you know, someone can have that power to, you know, to interfere with academic discussions like that. Yeah. Yeah, this is... um... I feel like we're almost living through uh, some sort of a social experiment right now. And um, it, but on the on on the other side, I also feel like we're in the post um, truth era. In a way, I, I don't I, I like what is true is so subjective. Like if you have, I don't know, Pizzagate and Jade Helm and Capitol Hill on the right, like like we discussed. Um, <laughs> and then you have, I don't know, free speech, Antifa, anti-vaxxers, whatever it is on the left. And they all, no one can agree on what is a definitive truth, right? Like an objective truth. There's uh, religious, social, political bubbles that are happening in all these different echo chambers online. Um, Even, you know, just taken back a little bit, um, Qatar, they have uh, AJ Plus, right? Um, That's the the news network. It used to be Al Jazeera, right? And then they kind of rebranded and it's AJ Plus. Mm -hmm. And they have their own version of things where they give you this type of propaganda. And a lot of people in, in the U.S., they, they look at it as they take it as, as Bible. Like, oh, look, that's a really good cutting edge. You know, they, they give you the news that maybe CNN or MSNBC or some others won't or maybe Fox, whatever, won't give you. And just everybody has their own agenda that they're pushing. And it's, I think... You know, most people, they don't have time to sit down and and decipher what is, who's behind it, what money is allocated, what the agenda is. They just want news. They just want information. It's extremely difficult, you know? Yeah, I I think it's tough. And, um, you know, if if you're getting your news, um, you know, on social media or something, it could just be difficult to remember where you read something. And so you might see, you know... um, you know, a, a, a new, like a correct story alongside a false story. And you, it just, it's hard to, you know, especially with little time and little expertise, it's difficult to glean what information is true or is not true. Um, and it's also interesting how fundamentally different information uh, people are seeing is like, um, you know, I'm sure if I compared, uh, you know, my newsfeed on Facebook or Twitter to, you know, a friend or a family members, we would be getting wildly different um, information. And I, I think people don't realize, you know, how different our information streams can be. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then that could, I think it, the world would be better if people understood <laughs> better how, how social media works and, you know, how this information works. Yeah. I, uh, I pretty much altogether stopped uh, following any news outlets. Um, I try to follow people and um people that i at least in my head i think are trustworthy and are as unbiased as can be but we all we all have some bias and um you know both on the left and on the right and i try to get information from people rather than an organization that has you know ill motivation behind it and yeah i don't know it it's it seems like it's working <laughs> I just get all my information from Gritty, the Flyers mascot. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to get all my information from Alex Jones. You know, in fourth. I feel like he's the most trustworthy one. You know, he's really passionate about what he says. and <laughs> That's all that matters, the passion. <laughs> it's all in the passion, man. It's, how, it's a delivery. It's how you deliver it. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about um, 
our, our own um, institutions here. Um, I think I, I saw somewhere that last year, I believe it was, or no, sorry, not last year. Uh, since maybe 2012, there's been over $12 billion of um, foreign investment from hostile and friendly governments into uh, educational institutions in the U.S. Is that correct? Um, so I, I'm not sure about the exact numbers. I have to double check. Roughly, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and there, right now there's, um, you know, a, a lot of, you know, investigations into, you know, what funding has actually been reported versus what hasn't been reported. Um, so, you know, I think there, uh, it's not total clarity on that at the moment. Um, but, Probably you know, more. my my position on this is, you know, actually pretty similar to my positions on a lot of things. What, what matters the most is transparency. Um, it's very important to know, you know, what um, agreements this money is coming under. Um, you know, a, a lot of there were a lot of questions, um, especially about Confucius Institutes in the United States, because um, you know Can that you was what those are. Sure. Um, so Confucius Institutes are um, they would be there's something that the Chinese government operates. Um, they're a lot of them have um, been closed up at this point uh, in the United States. I think there's probably a f- maybe a few dozen left, um, probably less than 80. Um, but what they are is um, a, a, a university will form a relationship with the Chinese government to host a Confucius Institute. Um, and, you know, the, the point of the Confucius Institute is uh, to teach Chinese culture and language. Um, so, you know, it's this idea that... Um, the university and the Chinese government will um, offer or put together money to form this institute. Um, and, you know, professors from China or teachers from China will come over um, and, you know, offer courses um, that will just allow people to learn more about, you know, Chinese customs and language. Um, and, you know, there isn't anything inherently wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but what matters is, you know, making it public. Um, you know, it's, having people know what's in these contracts um, because there were accusations at some Confucius institutes that um, they were being used to try to encourage censorship at the university. Um, You know, there are some instances of uh, Confucius institutes um, employees saying, you know, we are not willing to, um, you know, host this event about Taiwan or we don't want you hosting this. You know, it could put the Confucius Institute in jeopardy if the university is doing this. Um, so obviously, you know, that's not acceptable. Um, so, you know, what matters is uh, if a university is going to enter into these uh, agreements, um, they need to be transparent about it. They need to, uh, you know, let people know what conditions of the money are. Um, and also, you know, just to ensure that, um, you know, it won't be used to engage in any kind of censorship. Um, that's something I've been, um, you know, writing about for a few years and trying to encourage universities to look at it. Um, and, you know, it's not a Confucius Institute, but um, Cornell University, I think, is a really interesting example um, because I think it was back in 2018, they chose to um, close their international partnership with a Chinese university because there were reports that um, students were being surveilled and censored there. And so, you know, they said, you know, we're not willing to, you know, keep up a partnership that has these kinds of pitfalls to it. Uh, And so they later put out a set of guidelines saying that, um, you know, here's our rule for international partnerships. Um, And they said, you know, closing the partnership is on the table if there is a violation of basic principles. And I think, 
you know, all universities that are engaging in, um, you know, partnerships, you know, in foreign countries or with foreign governments or, you know, even with the U.S. government, um, they should have these kinds of principles on the table. And they should say, you know, here's what we are now willing to look past. This is what we'll do if there is a violation. Because, you know, if you're, you're working in a country where, you know, basic speech rights are violated, you kind of need to account for the fact that it might happen to you or your students or, you know, even the presence of those laws might be enough to make people self-censor. Um, so, you know, there needs to be accounting for that. So, okay, so I have two questions. Um, one is, again, I, I, I didn't go to school here, but, um, you know, going to college, especially like, you know, Ivy League type is very expensive in the U.S. It's, it's what, like quarter of a mil, half a mil? It's anywhere between those numbers? Yeah, yeah. You know, depending on financial aid, scholarships, uh, you know, it, it can get very, very expensive. Yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of money. Um, why do they need all this additional, you know, money, millions of dollars from all these governments if they're already making, you know, hand over fist? There's, there's so much money coming in. Why do they need this extra money? I mean, I, I I can't speak for you know every university's um, you know financial situation, um, and you know I think a lot of schools have had you know financial concerns, uh, you know, regardless of how much money they're bringing in. Um, I, I think you know regardless, it's it's a situation where you know they see it as you know more funding, more opportunities. So it's it's very hard to pass that up. I mean, yeah. I. I I, I can see under the right circumstances why a school would say, you know, this is a good idea. We should go forward with it. And, you know, I, I don't want to discourage universities from international partnerships because, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to close off universities like that. And then on the flip side from the, you know, from China or Russia or Saudi Arabia, is there like an end goal that they're trying to, to, you know, to achieve by putting investments into these um, institutions? Um, I mean, I, I think it it helps, you know, their universities too when they have, um, you know, partnerships around the world when they have more relationships. Uh, I think there there can be things gained for both sides of it. Um, you know, I on the perhaps you know, less. Uh, positive side, you know, it, there is a possibility that, you know, China, for example, might be attempting to, you know, interfere with, um, uh, you know, university. It's, it's, it's very clear right now, especially with um, China's behavior in Hong Kong, that, you know, there is a concerted effort to, um, you know, censor global conversations. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, mind read. Um, I think there are very, um, you know, good reasons to engage in, you know, that type of international, um, agreement. Uh, but you know, it's possible that governments doing bad things might be doing something for a bad reason. So, yeah, you want to, you want to believe that it's not all sinister, but, um, there's just a few countries that just seem like they want to poke the bear. Like they want to really, um, I don't know, change, and, and 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 we can see that right like with um Russia with all the bots that and, and and the election and just the way they it's it's it just seems like much much easier to to infiltrate um 
the conversation nowadays and to switch it all around and make people believe that they're seeing what they're or yeah, what the, that they're seeing what they're not seeing or not seeing what they're seeing. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting on that front. We um, we actually learned uh, years ago, a professor got uh, in a huge social media firestorm. Um, uh, it was actually at my alma mater, Drexel University. Um, and he um, ultimately ended up just leaving the school because, um, you know, the situation they put him in, like they won't let him teach in person on campus. You know, there it was just an untenable situation. Um, but uh, we learned later on that uh, a lot of the social media firestorm had actually been um, pushed by Russian bots. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, especially because, you know, I think, um, you know, controversies on campus tend to get a lot of national attention. So, um, you know, we have kind of disinformation and bots pushing that and um, trying to make it more of an issue, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that's why sometimes I'll I'll see like someone get all like riled up and about some tweet, and then it'll be like, you know, Confucius zero seven two five four. I'm like, dude, I, <laughs> it's, it's okay, don't take it too too seriously. I I don't think that's a real person somewhere sitting in his basement and tweeting that. It's it's yeah, probably yeah. a warehouse in Russia. Sometimes I'll get like a, a really just unhinged tweet, and I'm like, I have to respond to this. I'm like. This person has one follower and has tweeted 60,000 times. I should probably <laughs> I, I smell something fishy. About <laughs> Something's this. amiss here. I should yeah. probably just not look again. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I try. And again, like I, you know, I don't have this massive following. So I don't have even uh, 1% of what someone with a big following, you know, has. But when I get negative comments, uh, it doesn't matter if it's on done reddit or or twitter or uh, instagram i don't respond i just i've i try like my hardest sometimes i'm like oh i have to but like look what they said like they're so wrong i have to correct them but i i, I don't because it i'm i'm gonna have to spend a lot of time trying to convince this birth this person otherwise and it's, it's not worth it it's yeah i if i if i send someone as you know coming at me from good faith or like saying things that I think people might see and believe. And I'm like, no, that's incorrect. I just want to, you know, make that clear. But I'm, I try not to just fight with people anymore on the internet. Cause it's kind of a, it's a black hole that you fall into. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I will just say, I think you're wrong. Here's my explanation. <laughs> Have a nice day. And yeah. then I move on and I don't look at it again. <laughs> I know you're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like there's there's certain people that just have a lot of free time. Like they can sometimes I'll 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 get like I'll I like to sometimes I like to be like a contrarian on a popular uh tweet. Like if someone has a lot of followers, he'll put out a tweet and I'll just put like a, a, a something to the contrary. Oh my god, the amount of tweets that people <laughs> will tweet at you. Sometimes you'll get like someone like one person, like 30, 40. <laughs> Dude. You know, it's funny, people like build their, some people build their online, you know, brands that way. Like, really? you know, like the Trump reply guys, where it's like people who will build their brand by replying to like, well, not anymore, but like all of Trump's tweets. And then they <laughs> get anymore, like yeah. 30,000 responses and like people would just build brands <laughs> doing that alone because when an account has so many followers and you reply, then you're like, look at all these people looking at my tweets. <laughs> 
You know, that's so funny you mentioned that. I never, I like, there's a doctor. Um, I think his name is Eugene something. And every time Trump puts out a tweet, like, and I, I, I don't follow Trump, but sometimes I would see it just because, you know, he is the president. You see, yeah, you see, you see the tweets. <laughs> yeah, he is the president for now. Um, he would be first. Like this guy would be first, and I think he built a massive following this year. It's so funny that you said that. I never put that that, that together. And so, like, they were moved. But like, do you remember the Krasensteins? They were banned for I don't even know what reason. <laughs> I don't remember anymore. There's too many things, but I'm pretty sure that's how like the Krasenstein brothers built their brand too. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well. Something to look into, folks. There you go. <laughs> if you want to build your brand, come reply, guy. Yeah, just start out. Uh, just start. Just start um, tweeting at Joe Biden, and, and <laughs> you should be fine in a year or so. Um, what do you think as far as free speech? Are we are we better today than we were twenty years ago? Not not specifically in the U.S., but generally in the world. That's a tough question. Um, you know, we. I think. Um, internet access gives people a lot more availability to speak, um, you know, a lot more ways and places to say something, but, um, you know, a lot of people live under very restrictive governments and it's, it's kind of difficult. Um, I, it's very difficult, I think, to weigh those two things and see if one has made it, you know, more free or less free compared to the other. But, um, you know, you look at um, China, which is, you know, a massive population and you know, they don't even have access to Twitter. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not willing to say, you know, more or less free. I think there are very, very serious threats to free speech right now. Um, and, you know, especially, uh, for example, the national security law in Hong Kong. I think that's kind of a, a good look at, you know, where things might be going in a bad way. Um, because, um, you know, I'm not sure how versed you are on the national security law, for example. Um, but so it's, uh, it was passed in Hong Kong, um, I think last June. And, uh, you know, there are four major offensive. It's like separatism, subversion, collusion with foreign countries, things like that. Um, but it pretty much is just whatever Beijing wants to censor. That's what the law is going to do. Yeah. Um, but what's, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize about the law is that it applies, according to China, uh, to resident to people who are not residents of Hong Kong. Um, so, you know, if you're, you know, at home and you're tweeting about how you think Hong Kong should be free, and then you go to Hong Kong, you could theoretically be arrested for that for violating the national security law. Um, and so, it's kind of a scary look at. Um, you know, it's and I am following it very closely just on the academic front because you have a lot of scholars and students who are very scared of um, you know what they might say in class, especially when everything's online right now. Um, you know, they're very scared of you know they might violate the national security law um, just by discussing Hong Kong in class, and then you know where does that put them? Yeah, maybe China won't care enough to you know, bring the hammer down on them, but maybe they will. And like, that's a, a level of fear. I think that's pretty alarming. And, you know, it's, I guess, just a global law <laughs> that China thinks it has. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's um, something to be on the lookout for, you know, uh, perhaps the proliferation of, you know, laws like that, where 
countries are saying, you know, anything you've said, um, you know, that violates, you know, some vague national security law standard. Um, Bad news if you come here. Um, Or they may even try to get critics, you know, extradited, things like that. So it's, um, I think it's a pretty scary future um, for free speech. And, you know, right now, enforcement of the national security law is just, you know, ramping up. So, um, you know, I think on the question of, you know, are things better? (laughs) Um, I know I I can't say definitively, you know, whether something's better or worse, but, um, you know, as of right now or 30 years ago, but I I know this is quite bad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe like a per country thing, right? I know, like, for example, in, in Russia, like people who oppose Putin tend to disappear. Um, magically they just no one can find them and um it's a very big country i'm sure there's forests filled with uh dead bodies somewhere but uh or maybe not i don't know i don't i don't want to presume anything but where um what do you think is probably or at least the top three worst uh countries right now for uh free speech and freedom of uh expression um you know china obviously you know north korea yeah um you know quite horrible uh you know i think probably um it depends on the topic i think you know there are some countries that are kind of all around you know quite awful on free speech um and then some countries where it's uh you know i think you know saudi arabia is at the top of the list i think um you know pakistan in terms of um you know blasphemy and religious expression um yeah so i there's a lot of contenders (laughs) (laughs) Why pick one? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of blame to go around. Yeah, well, I know there was a famous story in in Iran last year where this Iranian wrestler Navid uh, Afkari, uh, he protested the regime and he was executed. And you know, I'm, I'm a huge uh, MMA guy. I, I love I love the sport, and uh, a lot of people from the sport, you know, like a lot of top guys, um, Dana White, who is the head of the UFC as well. He, you know, protested and he reached out to Trump and and and. They try to do something to to help this guy, you know, not get executed, and uh, they failed. Uh, they the regime uh, executed this guy, and it almost seemed like they did it um, in spite, like because the West thinks that they can tell us what to do, we're going to show that, you know. And I, I think they made up a story, right, that he killed someone, uh, but he says that under torture, he. Um, he had to confess. Yeah. I think there are a lot of confessions under torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That seems like the way to go there. And, uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, when you hear statistics, it's sad, but when you have a, when you put a face to it, when you see like this guy who's a wrestler, you know, part of the, the, the fighting community, it's, uh, it was a really sad story. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it got, when people talk about how they're oppressed here, I'm like, you're not really oppressed. Like, like, look at the broad picture. Look what what's going on in other parts of the world where people are literally getting executed for, you know, opposing the regime. So, you know, there's work to be done in the U.S., but it's 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 still one of the best places to, yeah. to for free speech. I, I've I've long felt that, um, you know, our conversation about free speech in the United States could benefit from more awareness about um, free speech issues abroad. 
uh, kind of for two reasons. One, because people think some things are censorship that just aren't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> somebody criticized me. I've been silenced. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, that's part of free speech, you know. Um, and so, you know, they, they think, you know, somebody says your opinion's bad. It's like, I have been censored and silenced. It's like, no, not quite. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, you know, for people who think that, you know, free speech is sort of overrated and just doesn't really matter. It's like, uh, I, I think that's, a very privileged viewpoint to think that, um, you know, free speech doesn't matter because there are so many people around the world who were, um, you are horribly mistreated because they chose to speak out. Um, and I think people who, you know, want to overturn, you know, or want to, you know, get a do away with the first amendment for whatever reason could, you know, benefit from learning about people who probably really wish they could speak freely or practice their religions freely. So I think for, for two fronts, it's helpful for people to have a, a better understanding of, um, you know, global free speech issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we got to a point here where it became too good, um, too free or too rich or too easy or whatever it is that you, you want to say. And people are almost looking for hardships. They're looking to... Oh, you know, I, I have it hard because A, B, C, D. They're just they're they can't accept that, hey, you know, I have a good life. You know, I have these privileges that I live in a first world country, I live in the richest country. Um, you know, I have all these opportunities. It's like they have to find something to show that they they there's some strife, that they went through some troubles, that their life wasn't easy. I I, I don't know. I keep hearing this over and over again, like, oh, you know, it's it's not easy. It's it's rough. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, life is hard, generally speaking. Like, it shouldn't be all, you know, it shouldn't be easy all the time. But just, again, if you go to many, many, many other countries in the world, you'll see what real uh, trials and tribulations are um, when just you don't have basic infrastructure, right? Like, just take India, for example, who's, a, you know, the biggest democracy. I think something like 600 million people don't even have access to toilets, like that's an that's double the population of the U.S. almost just no access to to sanitation, you know. So that just gives a little bit perspective. Yeah, I think perspective is probably something <laughs> we all need. <laughs> um, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed our conversation. Um, where can people find you on the uh, internet? Where are the best places? Uh, so if they want to learn more about fire, they can go to thefire.org, T-H-E-F-I-R-E. Um, if they want to follow me, which is probably a mistake, uh, they can find me follow, on definitely follow her. <laughs> uh, at uh, Sarah E-N-C-L-A-U-G-H. Uh, as you can probably understand, there are a lot of Sarah McLaughlin's out there. Very difficult to just get my na- own name in there. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this era is Sarah McLachlan, the, the new generation Sarah McLachlan. I am just waiting till somebody asks her if she's me. That's all <laughs> I want. I want it to happen one time. <laughs> it's a simple request. I'll have to I'll have to get her on the podcast at some point <laughs> <laughs> just to fulfill that wish. Ask her how it feels to be the less famous Sarah McLachlan. Yeah. Do that favor. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone born after like the year 2000 wouldn't have a clue who she was. Just no idea. I don't think I don't she's know, been out of like, like 20 have, years. Like, teenagers make fun of me for it. So Really? <laughs> Although maybe teenagers just bully me. That's possible. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when the last time she put out a, a, a song. It must have been a while. It's not in the last decade, probably. 
I'm not sure. I hear a lot about the uh, dog commercials, though. The uh, ASPCA commercials that she's oh, in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you definitely cry after watching one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah, again, thanks a lot. I wish you the best of luck with your uh, sports teams. I know it hasn't been the best year. Yeah, yeah, no comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right. Uh, take care. Uh, thanks again for uh, the podcast. This was a blast. And uh, I mean, we'll do it again uh, later this year. All right. Have a good weekend. <laughs> you as well. Bye.